0: Hello everyone, it's Gary. We're back with the Retro Football Network podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of the most legendary figures of English football, without a doubt. We've got some excellent stories, some you may have never heard before, about Brian Clough. My guest is a, an authority of Mr Clough, that you'll find out as you listen to the podcast and he's the perfect guest to talk about Brian Clough. So we're going to jump into it straight away. So here we go. My guest today talking about Brian Clough is Marcus Alton.
1: Marcus, welcome to Retro Football Network podcast. Thank you, Thank Gary. You. It's lovely to join you. Thanks for inviting
0: me. Oh, no, you're, you're welcome. You're very welcome. And this is going to be an interesting one because we're talking about probably one of the most interesting people in english football i think a lot of us would agree on and you're probably one of the biggest fans if not the biggest fan of this (laughs) i think this man would probably say yes if if you're not the biggest fan you're Mm. in the top one something like that yes say we're going to talk about brian clough today of course and As the podcast um, develops, people understand why. But before we do, this is episode seven. And for the previous episodes, I always ask people, what are their first memories of football? So let's go back to when you were a boy and your first memories of football, Marcus.
1: Yeah, well, um, we'd be going back over 40 years now and uh, to around March 1977 um and uh, a family friend had a a season ticket at nottingham forest and uh invited me along and i was only what about nine nine going on ten um at the time and and forest were in the old second division uh then and the match was against hull city at the city ground um and thinking about it now, uh, Gary Bertles made his debut in that game, and I didn't realise it at the yeah. time. Um, but, yeah, Gary Bertles was making his debut, and I think Billy Bremner was playing for Hull mm. in those days. Um, a 2-0 win, uh, the classic uh, partnership of Witham-Woodcock mm. on the score sheet. And I just remember going to, to, to the match and just walking into the walkway and... and just being faced with this mesmeric sight of a huge green pitch yeah. and that that image was still in my mind the day after yeah. and and you know the the whole atmosphere and the red shirts and i was just hooked for, from that day and, and, and funnily enough um i i got into the ground by climbing over the turnstile <laughs> um this friend this family friend called uh, nora She knew a lot of people behind the scenes at Forest, And um, she organised for me to get into the ground by climbing over the turnstile. And she knew the turnstile operator who got a bottle of whiskey at Christmas. (laughs) And uh, I used to perch on the end of the wooden bench uh, because it was just wooden benches for seats in those days with sort of white lines painted on them for each seat. And I'd either sit on the end or on the step. And in front of us was terracing, terracing. on the left were forest fans, on the right of the terracing were the away fans, and in those days there'd be darts being thrown from one one side to the other. And we were near the front of the seating, and the advice was, now Sparky, as Nora would call me, Sparky, put your hood up, that'll keep you safe. (laughs) Oh, they're horrendous when you think about it. But as I say, you know, Forrest with this charismatic manager. Yes. Um, uh, uh, and they went on such a journey then. It was a wonderful time to start watching Forrest. So I went to one or two more matches while they are in the second division uh, then. I think the last one uh, of the season was Millwall at home. and um, And obviously there was promotion to the first division. And I was following these matches through newspaper reports, you know, obviously no internet in those days. And I'd make cuttings and put them in a scrapbook. And um, they won the first division, went on to win the European Cup twice, League Cup wins. And I thought, oh, this is good. You know, <laughs> <I think> this... <laughs> it's a good team to support Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just the perfect time. And of course, you know, when things didn't go so well and they then got knocked out of the European Cup, I was absolutely devastated. How could this happen? You know, um, and then the, the true feelings of, of, of football uh, hit you. Um, but, yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. And, um, uh, you know, I never thought that all these years later I would be, you know, writing books about the man himself.
0: Yeah, and one one thing is quite incredible because I was born in nineteen seventy six. Oh um, yeah. So what's what's quite incredible? Obviously, I I don't really have a lot of memories of that time. But um, the fact is, you talked about nineteen seventy seven there. Um, a lot of people don't realise that Forest actually came third, mm. Africa, and they yes. were very they were very close to not even being promoted. So, That's I mean, right. Really incredible. Literally, what if moment? They were so close to not even being promoted. remember if if rightly. I think they'd gone on holiday. Taking they... the
1: team had gone away, hadn't they? They they had. They they found out out uh, about it. I think they'd gone to Spain, yeah. uh, and it it was dependent on other results yeah. going their way. So they were unsure about what was happening, and I think Brian Clough ended up phoning, you know, uh, home and to find out how the results had gone. And, and Jimmy Pell, one of the um, directors at the time, uh, I had a chat with him once and um, he was invited along. As I think he was the only director invited along on that trip. And he remembers when promotion was confirmed, Bluff and Taylor came up to him at the side of the pool, of wherever they were staying and said, right, we've won promotion. We want uh, Shilton and Gemmell. Filton <laughs> like shil- yeah. and Burns, or something like that. Yeah. Yes, and uh, and Jimmy's told me, oh, I I, I wanted the, the 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 ground to to open up and swallow me up, you know, at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fantastic memories.
0: Because I um, say so I've got no memory of this. My dad tells me that I actually watched the nineteen seventy nine European Cup final. I mm. have no memory of this. We were on holiday in Skegness at Butlins. Mm. Um, um we went to watch it just in the one of the bars or whatever they got at butlins and there were other people there of course congregated because it was an English team because so far from the East Midlands there are lots of people there supporting forest as well so we watched it and um yes I have no memory of it but apparently i watched the european cup finally in- <laughs> european cup final but I no memory of it at all no so. memory
1: well i was listening on radio Two um yeah. because they did like a sports program at night and that there was no five live in those days yeah. and they would do the commentary so um i think i was listening on on the radio and 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 trying to tape it on my sort of mono tape recorder yeah that yeah, the, and uh and then i think i watched the highlights or something like that but yeah it was it was absolutely tremendous to think it was this site that i'd been watching and there they were you know yeah. uh the pinnacle of europe so
0: after of course they got promoted you've been to two or three games at that point as a young child did you continue to go to matches
1: as well or was it more difficult because the more success, more people wanted to go? That's right. It, it was really. Um, it, it was following them on television. I remember Star Soccer yeah. on ITV on a Sunday. Used to love watching that with Hugh Johns commentating yeah. um, on the the Forest matches. So, yeah, it was really through TV and, and, and radio. Uh, I went to one or two matches i remember going to um the old arsenal stadium and right. watching forest there and leeds away i think i went to more away matches than than home ones at, at the time it was possibly easier to get th- those tickets um because you had to save up uh vouchers from the programs yeah. um the match day programs and i remember going i remember going to the league cup final at wembley in, 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 in 1978 um and we'd had to save up all these different tokens uh and, and stick them on a piece of paper in order to right. qualify for <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and it's yeah. funny that clubs did that for so long and then never played in a final so people had got all these programs and yeah buy them in bulk so they could get tickets for their friends and they kept these programs just for these tokens and the team might not play in a cup final for that, ten years or
1: never it just that that's right it's a good way to sell programs wasn't it yeah it was yeah it but, was <laughs> But, yeah, but, but but the Wembley experience was was wonderful, you know, 1978, and then I went to the League Cup final replay, even though it was a school night, I think, um, yeah. at, Gold, yeah. at Old Trafford um, with the John Robertson uh, penalty. Um, and yeah, that's that, that's that. Those those are my sort of uh, early memories of the time. And then it, I sort of followed Forest, you know, con- continued to do that. But I I didn't get a season ticket myself until about nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um. And I stood in the Trent end. Um. And I've been a season. Ticket holder ever since then really and i now sit in the the brian clough stand which is well, quite you that. of
0: course you i have, have to. to that's yeah. right yeah <laughs> with with regards to brian clough then of course as a young boy you're you're really into it as you said you saw the green pitch and you've you've got all mm-hmm. these experiences going to wembley at such a, a an early age as well yeah. At what point did you start to see that the manager was something a bit special or larger in life did that were you a little bit older by, by that point or
1: well um I, I think i was i could see it even at an early age because i loved recording his interviews off off the radio yeah. and uh you know i would carefully my questions over the interviewers questions and pretend that i and pretend that i was interviewing him you know uh, and he'd come out with you know with various quotes and and things and um and i i was really into radio programs at the time because we'd had a new station set up in nottingham called radio trent so i was i was was pretending i was doing these radio programs and (laughs) interviewing brian clough and um uh, it was a magical time because, you know, I, I had this sort of imagination, I guess, of um, interviewing him. And many, many years later, there I was actually interviewing him face to face for real. Yeah. Um, and, obviously very very nervous i was at the time um I'm surprised. <laughs> i mean we can come on to that, that later but you, you just never knew what to expect and i think that's that's the tale for most journalists who who interviewed him at the time you know he yeah. kept you on your toes
0: yeah and as you were as you were growing up in a forest fan and everything like that and one of the big things you've and you you talked about this, which we'll get to a little bit when we talk about your your most recent book. But mm. the the fact that he was on the shortlist for the England job, mm. but he didn't get it. Ron Greenwood, of course, got it, and it was a time I believe it's before Forrest won the title in '78. Anyway, yes, uh, yes. But he was on the shortlist and interviewed for the job. Yeah. Because England, England were, were having a bad time, of course. They they'd not qualified in 74, 78, they hadn't gone Revit, gone to the Middle East. So there was a job available, and Brian Clough was on the shortlist. Can you tell us a bit about that, Marcus?
1: Yeah, well, um it was there was a huge call for him to be England manager um among fans and a lot of the media at the time. Um, you know, that they were crying out for for success because they hadn't really done much since 66. And um, he went for the interview at Lancaster Gate, um, where the Football Association HQ is. And, you know, looking back, he said he thought it, it had gone really, really well. Um, yeah. he, he said that ma- the, the panel of people, the mouths were open. They were impressed with what I said. Uh, the atmosphere in the room was great. Um, and And then, of course, he was absolutely devastated when he he didn't get it. It made me laugh, actually, because I was at an event in Stoke some years ago when he was helping to fundraise for Sir Stanley Matthews' statue. Um, And he wasn't quite so complimentary of the England panel at that time. Um, And he said something like, uh, the trouble with them was that uh, there were seven of them on the panel Uh, Three of them were dead. And what's worrying is the other four hadn't twigged. Um, (laughs) um, But obviously, as I say, he was devastated not to get it. And even 20 years later, um, it still rankled with him. Um, And one of the recordings I found, you know, it was probably the most passionate that I've heard him talk about it. Yeah. Um, You know, he said he was in his prime at that point. He was right for the job. Um, and his voice gradually got louder and louder as as, as he got angrier um, as he was sort of addressing this football panel and he said yes as you point out they appointed Ron Greenwood he said because it fitted their bill Mm. and um, he said they weren't bothered about uh, the standing of English football around the world they weren't bothered about you and he, he obviously referring to the audience, they weren't bothered about the supporters. They were only bothered about themselves. And they yep. didn't want me invading. And, um, you know, he obviously still felt a huge sense of injustice at the time. Um, and, I spoke to um a former Fleet Street journalist, Norman Giller, who interviewed Cluffy a few times. And he said, you know, he, he may have got the England job if he'd have just curtailed some of the things yeah. he said, basically. If he'd got an internal filter yeah. um that may not have upset people at the time. Um and I think Brian realized that, you know, in in, in retrospect many years on, but um having said that if he had had that internal filter it would probably have not made him the manager he was
0: exactly um
1: and i and i think he admitted that himself you know um in one interview he said well I, i could have been less aggressive maybe but then that would have taken away something from what i had yeah um so it's sort of a double-edged sword really but yes it there was a huge media campaign at the time i think i've still got a badge that says clough for england um (laughs) and um yeah it was it was just one of those things that obviously didn't go his way and as a forest fan you know um it was probably quite fortunate for us yeah yeah, but he didn't guess it because i think that was the interview was around december 77 Mm. Um, and and then they won the title so you know what what could have been really and of course
0: there was a point where although england got to spain in 82 it was a little bit um tight at one point they lost to norway and norway were not norway of the Mm. 90s or even today this is a norway side that were really considered as minnows it's that famous commentator as well um yes i before but um, Greenwood was really under pressure at that point and from what I understand even then the press was saying look just let's just rip up the contract and get Clough in now Let's almost begging him to come
1: that's right well I, I remember at the time um, I think one of the tabloid newspapers um, had done a poll um, when uh, the job first came up uh, for interview and uh, some you know some of the names like Bill Shankley was saying Yes, it's got to be Clough. He's the only man who can get something out of these players, you know, and and, and motivate them. Um, But then there was John Bond, who, you know, the former Norwich City uh, manager, went on to manage Man City. Um, And I think he he didn't want Clough at the time. Um, And when they did another poll back in sort of 82, uh, as you mentioned... He changed his mind yeah. and he said, actually, I think we do need him now yeah. um, because we're, we're desperate for, for success. And really, he's the only man that can really de- deliver it. And, you know, I think Cluffy would have got the best out of these players. His man management was was second to none. Yeah. Um, and um, but as I say, you know, it would have been Forrest's loss.
0: Oh, completely. Especially as you said at that period. Mm. Another mm. what if moment, another thing where, because 77 promotion was hanging in the balance and then you've mm. got a situation later on that year that Clough could have gone to England and then you've gotten all that not happening
1: either. So, yes, yeah, so, yeah. Again, it, Forrest it, got out the best out of that. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, I, I think Cloughy always felt loyalty to Forrest anyway, um, yeah. because the fans had done a petition. Um, I think there were about 4,000 signatures. And I think that made a big difference to Cluffy, that yeah. they saw that, or he saw that that he was wanted there.
0: Yeah.
1: And they had given him a lifeline into mm. fo- football again, originally. You know, he'd been sacked by Leeds after, you know, the, the famous 44 days. And he'd, he'd been, you know, given a carte blanche, if you like, just yeah. to, to, to thought forest out which he did and he was always grateful um to Stuart dryden who was um on the board at the time who sort of instigated um cluffy's arrival at forest and uh, i think that loyalty stayed with him you know yeah. while while obviously peter taylor retired and then went to derby and uh, I, I think tried to get cluffy to join him at derby um brian was adamant that he was going to stay at forest and yeah. that that loyalty you know paid dividends because he rebuilt the side a number of times uh, during the 80s um with, with great success it's strange then isn't it when they had all that and then ron greenwood
0: left and mm. then Bobby robson took on it switched which were a great side of course and doing really well but bobby robson then took over in 82 and again that would have been perfect timing because Clough had done all that with mm. Forest, he could have mm. then just left Forest, knowing that it was probably yep. never going to get any better. And Forest fans would have probably understood more if he left in '82 to replace Ron Green-
1: Greenwood after Spain. Yes, that that's right. And I think I'm um, right in saying Bobby Robson actually offered to resign yeah. <laughs> to, to let uh, to let Clough take over. But again. I think it was probably the powers that be behind the scenes yeah. didn't really want um brian to be uh in charge um we mentioned that in the book actually i i mentioned that um from a, a tv documentary that really you know they they go through these interviews and what have you but they've they've made their mind up uh yeah. already and uh, i mean it it, it goes, goes back to a funny story um when Cluffy was playing for England uh, back in the late 50s um, and he went to Russia and they were invited to watch the Bolshoi Ballet Mm. um, and he was sitting next to Bobby Charlton and they were doing the Dying Swan on the stage and it really wasn't Cluffy's thing at all, Mm. you know, it it bored the pants off him but uh, he sat there and um, the lady doing the Dying Swan kept getting up you know and then going down again and then getting up and he it was trying his patience and he said to Bobby Charlton gosh if she gets up again once more I'll shoot her um, and then apparently one of the FA officials <laughs> said, to, said to him afterwards hey you, you can't say things like that about the ballet you know here in... so um, I think that was an early indication that, yep. they were, that they were a bit wary of him and what he might say. I think to be honest as well
0: I mean when i was growing up and watching football as a kid even i could see that there was this real stuffiness about the fa and Hmm. the way you saw them on tv it was very old-fashioned the way they were really traditional and nowhere near um modern enough to to be in charge of english football at the time as well and you could see that it was really that old-fashioned outfit and you can you can imagine that for for them they were probably terrified of I don't know playing a particular team, and there being an international incident because he said something, or yes, sure they were terrified of what might happen. Instead of thinking, yeah, but there's other things that might happen as well, like for example, performing better in in tournaments because England '82, really, I mean they, they didn't ever lost a game, and they could have done more. '86, again, the tournaments like that. I mean, they never even qualified. Yeah. Euro 84 so there
1: yeah. were missed yes. opportunities when Kluff was still at his best so yes it's ironic really because the, the success that he would probably have achieved would have reflected on them yeah. you know and he often said you know the chairman and directors of football clubs just get in get into it for the wrong reasons because they like the glory and yeah. you know, appear, appearing on the back page and but that would have you know been a bonus really Mm. for the for for the fa officials because that they would have done so so well out of it um but as i say um the writing was on the wall really that the he wasn't going to be uh, in the frame and um yeah it's all it's all ifs and buts isn't it but um i think um you know I, i i think he would have probably won the world cup I'll go as far as to say that if he'd have been England manager um, because I think he would have got the best out of the players that were available. Um, he knew how to, you know, gel a team together and get the best out of them. They'd have gone on plenty of holidays, of course, you know, <laughs> um, lots of sunshine. Yeah, and, of
0: um, yeah. yeah
1: exactly. Um, and the players loved it. You know, yeah. um, he often said... He wouldn't let them play play football uh while they were away he, they yep. didn't know what a football was until uh, until match day um and it was probably quite refreshing for the players yep. at the time I mean that's a big statement but when you when you think about
0: it as i said 82 they were unbeaten uh 86 with the Argentina match quarterfinals mm. finals in 90 they were again it was fine lines within mm. Don't know. I mean, I, I would. I'm no. I would never criticise Bobby Robson because I respect him greatly. But yes, you just yeah. don't. Know. It know. is a what if, but you just don't know. And I understand why you believe that, as you're such a big fan of the man. I can understand it. And mm. you see it so often on social media. Every time people post a video or a photograph of Brian Clough, there is always someone that will say the best manager that England never had. Yes, and people still believe that. And his retirement was 30 years ago and people still believe that he should have had the opportunity as England manager. Bobby Robson was manager for eight years, for example, and the 84 failure, 88 was a disaster in Germany as well, West Germany in the European Championship. So you just don't know. And I I agree with you. I'm sure whether he'd have won a trophy, I don't know, but I'm Mm. sure it would have been very interesting why not I mean look they won the European Cup twice so why not? yes
1: yes so. yeah and and the, th- the thing is you know you you wonder how England m- might have done um but but he often talked about creating this special team spirit yeah um uh, and the bond between the players which you know I, I know they don't it wasn't week to week with England. He um, wouldn't see the players as often, but I think he could still build that spirit. And yeah. he said it, w- it was that togetherness and that understanding that got them through many matches when they probably didn't deserve to get through yeah. really, you know, um, that, that that they were against the odds, yeah. but they fought as, as a unit. Mm. And um, that, I think, would have been... Uh, reflected in the england performances i mean one one argument that i've heard
0: about it um is that people said well, he wouldn't have been able to manage some of the the big egos and that but mm. to be honest a lot of the england players i mean obviously there are other examples probably glenn hoddle might have been a one with quite a large ego i don't know but some mm. of, the, a lot of the players I think would have, wouldn't have had that. It's not, yeah, of course he had, I know he had players like Stan Bowles at Forest. It's like you're your Mavericks. Yes. At that point, it wasn't quite the same. And I think um, you play obviously, Peter Shilton, already mm. worked with him, Viv Anderson, players like that. I don't think he'd have had any trouble from some of the players, like Brian Robson, etc. Mm.
1: I'm sure he would have looked playing for somebody like Brian Clough. I, I don't think he'd have had a problem. No, I think, um he always, Brian always said he would concentrate on what a player could do yes. rather than what a player couldn't do. He wouldn't ask a player to do something that he knew was going to be alien to him or just wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, and I think the players appreciated that. You know, they, they played to a system and um, Brian played to their own strengths. And if, yeah. you know, if you're a, a Glenn Hoddle, or a, a Brian Robson, or a Kevin Keegan, or whatever. You know, if he was playing to your strengths, you would just love it. Of course. And, um, uh, and I think that you know the the the, the players would have you know their, their chess, You could physically you'd see it. You know, their chess right. would pump out, and they'd represent their country to to the maximum, um, knowing that you know Cloughy w- was behind them yep. all the way, but. Um, yeah it's it, it's one of those things that you know we, we as you say we, we got to um we got very close in 1990 and that was that was one of the things that really you know reignited my my love of football uh, yeah. I have to I have to say uh, Italia 90 um and Gaza and, and what have you uh, and it was around then that I um got got the season ticket at uh, at Forest um decided to do that uh, and you know the, the rest is history as they say
0: yeah I'd one thing that i think is very important i don't know if people listening are aware of this about brian Clough. there were times of course he was very outspoken and he and he had his opinions and he would really go to town on certain people and he criticized a lot of people i remember him criticizing alan sugar very publicly on tv and lots of other people but <laughs> there's one thing that i always respected and admired was his respect for a referee's decision or for for example for his opponent and he always showed class and dignity in defeat now whether behind closed doors he was going crazy i don't know but for <laughs> yes. the public image marcus he was always respectful i say this now as we're recording this football has gone mental we've got everybody every decision is queried we've got people on tv shouting and bawling talking about football mm. at the moment modern football is not a pleasure anymore so mm. to go back and think of brian clough and the fact that he would respect decisions because 1984 forest were cheated there's no doubt about it. it's it been proven i can say that they were cheated against Andelect in the ua for cup semi-final, second leg. They won the first leg 2-0, went out to Belgium and lost 3-0 in very suspicious circumstances. How did Brian Clough yeah. react to that? Because that is a moment that would provoke anyone. I've no idea how anyone could keep calm the way Forest were cheated in that second
1: leg. That's right, yes. Uh, in in the eight eighty four. yes, it was uh, a very uh, difficult time, obviously, I, in that match, that second leg. Um, when the goal was disallowed, which would have taken Forrest through to the final. Um, But I spoke to to Paul Hart, and he's been quoted as saying, you know, that they were always told not to argue with referees. And um, he could tell that, you know, something wasn't right and and Brian wasn't happy with it. But they, they were just told to pack up and 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 go now um apparently brian did see some of the journalists afterwards and said to them you you know you know we have been cheated don't you Mm. um but he you know publicly he'd got this uh policy if you like of not criticizing referees he never did he said he didn't get you anywhere um they would always you know stick to their decision and it would probably cause you more trouble in the long run Mm. um if you if you did criticize them and you know the 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 late goal was disallowed obviously and elect were eventually banned from europe for a year after admitting uh a long time though i think it was It, it, (laughs) it, it, it was a long time ago wasn't it yeah um he did talk about it in, in one of the phone-ins um, that I listened back to uh, because it's one of those things he didn't write about in either of his autobiographies, which is another telling um, point. But he did he was asked about it in one of the phone-ins um, and how he felt about it. And he, he said, we should have gone through. It was a crooked match and he was a crooked referee. Yeah. Um, and that's the strongest really that I'd, I'd, I'd heard him talk about it, uh, for, for many years. Um, and it, it's a shame for the players as well. Um, and I, I think he, he was, you know, uh, he always had a soft spot for Paul Hart and he, he wrote many years later, you know, he just wished he could have got a trophy for, for Harty. Yeah. Th- th- I think they would have faced Spurs in the final, yes. you know, and, um, I think they would have, off the back of their European success, they would have stood a very good chance of winning it that year.
0: Yeah. And that's that's why I always think of that, because I can't imagine how crazy somebody Mm. would want to go, because they were blatantly cheating. Anderlecht also had a penalty where the player was even, it was nowhere near the Mm. player, and he went down and gave a penalty. So, yeah, it was bad. And, As you said, later on, they were banned from Europe, but a long time after. That's right. Yes.
1: And I think the players tried to take some action, but it never really came to anything. Um, So, yeah, it was it was a big sense of injustice. Yeah. Now,
0: I want to talk about um, your latest book, because if people don't know, you have written five Mm. books now about the great Brian Clough um tell us about your latest one we want to talk about all of them because i think i'd like everybody to know about all five of course but tell us about your latest one which just came out in october the Lost last yes.
1: that's just right. read.
0: oh yeah and um, what did you think um now i've said this before when i've had people on and i don't say it just yeah you Platinum my guess or anything like that i really enjoyed Mm. it great there's parts in it as well that i actually remember you talked about the phonings there's some that i actually remember and there's one person in the book that you talk about i actually know him as well but i'll talk talk about that off air but yeah yes one of the examples you
1: give i actually knew the caller who rang in so so yeah, yes what yeah. was, so where did this come from the lost tapes yes well um it goes back to the pandemic um really a t- obviously a tough time for everyone um i was a key worker at the time reporting as a radio journalist on uh, the various tragic events um and, and following it on the uh the news at home and there's a bit of a distraction i decided to have a, a sort out of uh, all my papers and memorabilia and what have you that i would collected over the years uh, and i think I've, I've moved house about five times in 25 years so you tend to lose track of where everything is and some yeah. things are still in boxes and what have you and i found some old boxes um and it was it was like finding a treasure trove of of, of fluffy stories uh, it was a box of tapes um some cassettes mini discs uh an old vhs video as well uh, and uh, one or two CDs, uh, plus a, a box of old newspaper cuttings uh, that I've kept over the years, uh, magazine features, newspaper interviews, uh, and his various, you know, news- newspaper columns over the years. So probably going back over 40 years or more, um, and unfortunately, I'd still got a little mini cassette player ah, right. that, that, that I could... Uh, play these cassettes on the quality wasn't particularly good um and a small mini disc player that I'd, I'd still got but listening back to these these recordings um was was a real special bit of uh like stepping back into a, a special bit of history really there were some personal appearances he'd made um there was one or two radio appearances uh the radio phone-ins that uh we've mentioned um, there was a, a video of when I met him um, at a, at a book signing, and so I thought, you know, going through all this, he really needed preserving and mm-hmm. presenting yeah. uh, in an interesting way, uh, a bit of a curation, if you like, and and so I, you know, it's it's taken uh, well over two years to to put together, but um, with with my own memories and and the the archives. Uh, I, I hope it's made an entertaining book, really, because there yep. are a lot of stories in there that are in print for the first time. Yep. Um, they haven't. Yep. They, they haven't been documented. A lot of great quotes, um, because you know we, we've mentioned some of the well-known ones, like you know I wouldn't say I was the best manager in the business, but I was in the top one. Well, that's a, a quote that I uncovered from a a regional television interview. Um, which no one really made much of at the time Mm -hmm. Um, but I I fished it out and stuck it on the uh, the tribute website and obviously it's become his iconic quote
0: um,
1: now that that everyone knows Um, and I hope that this book sort of brings out some more um, stories and comments and quotes that uh, that are fresh for, for for people looking back.
0: You mentioned, it's a good time actually. You mentioned the website. I do want to, I do want to continue talking about the bookmarkers, but just yeah, mention yeah. the website quickly for people who don't
1: know. Yeah, yeah. at brianclough.com, non profit making um, website. And uh, I started it in August 2000. And, you know, the, things were still in their inf- infancy in those days regarding domain names and what have you. Yeah. And I was amazed that brianclough.com was still available. Uh, and one of my friends at work told me how I, how I could obtain it mm. and uh thought well, yeah this would be a great tribute to 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 Cluffy. so i started you know reading books about how to build websites and um built it from scratch uh but i wanted to make sure that the great man himself was uh was approving of it so i wrote to him and didn't get a reply and you just wrote
0: a letter to brian claude i did, did. <laughs> you
1: got a website. <laughs> you probably wouldn't even understand it but no. um uh, in fact when nigel was asked about it um when it was launched he said you know he, he wouldn't know a, a computer if it bit him mm. um but nobody had a problem with it which was nice to hear um and some years later um a few well it was soon after the launch actually um uh he, he did say on one of the phone-ins that um he, he had no problem with it if, if i think he said something like if he wants to set that up for me that's absolutely fine you know <laughs> so um and really i got a tremendous response you know people around the world uh emailed with their own memories and tributes and it became the focal point for the knighthood campaign
0: yeah
1: which which i launched and then also the focal point for the fundraising for the statue that uh, now stands proudly in Nottingham.
0: Right, tell us about that. So how did that begin,
1: the statue? The statue? Um, well, obviously i organised the knighthood campaign which um, was still active when he passed away and it was unfortunate, you know, that um, that, that happened because uh, I felt we were close to to success, and yeah. um, we, but we hadn't had chance to present the petition to Downing Street. Anyway, we we did eventually, thanks to to Brian's local MP. But obviously, we were asking for a, a posthumous knighthood, and they said that wasn't yeah. possible. So I was looking for some sort of tribute um, that would be successful. That people could see and pay their respects at and, and remember him. And I, yep. I, I, thought of you know, uh, let let's let's get a statue of him in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. But but before I went on to that, I, I'd obviously had contact with Brian's family um, uh, through the various work I'd done with the website and what have you. And um, I checked with Mrs. Clough, and she thought it was a, a good idea once i'd got that approval then i approached uh forest um yeah. who said there were no plans for a statue at the ground but if fans wanted to organize a fundraising campaign they would support it so that was that was great nigel doughty was the chairman then and
0: I, know, I know you're a season ticket holder but mm. you a little bit put out by that there were no plans i mean to me personally mm. should there not have been a statue in the 90s after his retirement do you not think I mean, am I being a bit foolish? I don't know.
1: Well, a, a, a lot of it is—it it only comes many years later, and it's something that Cluffy said himself. People only realise just how good you were years and years later, hmm. and it's something I, 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 I mention in, in the book because obviously next year, um, 2020, um, 2024, is uh, ten years. Sorry, is twenty years. Yeah. since he, he passed away and um, there's a bit in the book where he talks about people don't realize you know your achievements um, until long afterwards and I yeah. think it's a symptom a, a, of that really and I, I can w- w- you know Forrest at the time said they wanted to redevelop the, um, the main stand and then perhaps a statue could be part of that but that was very much a long-term plan so uh, nigel doughty uh, gave his support to to the idea and some funding as well he sponsored one of our gala dinners in fact um which was great which cluffy's family came along to um and with that then i got the support of the city council yep and um that, that was important because if the statue was going to go anywhere in nottingham we we needed that and they they became an honest broker if you like to take the money which yeah. was uh, again important i got a, um, a, a good small group of volunteers together who um a, a bit like cluffy's teams himself brought their own individual talents yeah. um <laughs> together some some were good at you know fundraising on the day some were good at coming up with ideas we had an accountant who looked after all the financial side of things um we had sort of a media marketing person who could do the publicity and it was it was just a fantastic group of, of volunteers and and i because i worked for the bbc at the time i had to sort of distance myself a little bit from it because of conflict of interest all issues right. Um, But um, I was, you know, I can say now I I was very much involved, although I wasn't an official uh, committee member.
0: Um,
1: And, you know, we came up with lots of fundraising ideas, little badges um, with uh, Cluffy's green sweater, which Mm -hmm. were tremendously popular. Uh, People bought those little metal badges, Um, the banners that had been displayed in Nottingham following um, his death they they were donated by the city council and we auctioned those off we had a, uh, I think we had a match day collection when forrest played hartley pool which was of mm-hmm. course one of club- oh, yeah. former clubs yeah. um that raised to four thousand pounds on its own mm-hmm. so lot, lots of different ideas um and, and you know raised the money in about 18 months which was remarkable in, in the days when there weren't any online pages to donate yeah, you know was it was all it was all physical collect the money you know um uh, as you went along so we we got the we got the cash and then ended up having to commission it we, we thought other people might be able to do that <laughs> we ended up um, being involved in the commissioning of the statue alongside the city council um, and and barbara uh, mrs Clough um uh, you know was involved in choosing the sculptor and the, and uh, her family as well and it was just a tremendous day eventually in what November 2008 yep um when the the statue was unveiled in in front of thousands of people in nottingham and uh, I was lucky enough to travel on the on the bus with the family from the city ground to uh, Old Market Square in Nottingham and um, a lot of the former players were there um, and it was you know televised mm-hmm. around, around the world and I'm, I'm just so pleased now looking back you know visitors to the city still have selfies with it even mm-hmm. now yeah. um, it, it, it possibly gets more attention than it would do if it was at the ground um, because people who not ne- not necessarily interested in football, so yeah. you know, will see it uh, and learn more about Cluffy. That's a good um, point. So um, it really has become a focal point. I think so- somebody was saying the other day on um, uh, on one of the social media channels because we've just marked fifteen years since it was uh, unveiled, and they said, you know, it's it's become a focal point so much now that instead of meeting by the old um, by the lions as mm-hmm. we used to call, we used to yeah. call them at the, in front of the council house in nottingham you meet by the brian clough statue yeah. um and that that <laughs> that's just amazing
0: yeah and it's deserved as well because mm. there had to be something there for a man especially who not from the city at all but put the city on the map mm. it, yeah it definitely as well definitely did that now, one thing that's interesting, you talk talking about going through your lost tapes. You said a video mm. where you met him at a book signing. Um, tell me yeah. about some of your experiences and when you have, well, when you did meet Brian Clough.
1: Yes, well, um, one of the times I interviewed him um, was uh, I was working for the BBC in London, um, but he was appearing in Derby. Uh, For a book signing, and um, I was asked if I'd like to go and interview him. Um, I think it was for for BBC Radio Derby. I'm sure you didn't. um, You were, and I and I didn't hesitate. No, I think that's why I was asked. (laughs) Because, and the thing was, they then said it's going to be live, and well <laughs> you know, interviewing Brian Clough live is perhaps a completely different kettle of fish to interviewing him on a recording because as I said you never quite knew what he was going to say or you know what what mood he might be in um, so I went along to this bookshop and uh, got there nice and early with this mobile broadcasting equipment and I was shown into the back room and waited for, for Mr Clough to arrive had to him Mr. Clough you know just to get on his good side course, and um course, yeah. and it was a filthy morning um chucking it down with rain and I could hear him arrive and uh, I think he was talking to some people who were with him and I don't think things had gone particularly well that morning and I thought oh dear what's going to happen here anyway he came through and um uh, we, we we had a quick chat and he, he you know he was uh, really really friendly and I, was, I said, you know, we'd like to do this live interview with you and talk about your book and what's in it. And um, he said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Uh, so I had to tell the studio um, that we were ready to go. Mr Clough was ready. Let's let's do it now. And I think the, the presenter was in the middle of a record or something and um, wasn't going to cut this record short and i got cluffy standing there and he said well if if uh you know if, if it's easy I'll, I'll go and start signing some books and then i'll come back and see you and i thought no i don't want that to happen i don't want to lose him now yeah you've got you know. him there yeah i've got know. him yeah. i can't afford to let this opportunity go yeah exactly. um so anyway i got back onto the you know studio i said you've got to come to me now because it, it might not happen otherwise anyway they did they they faded down the record and um and and they they came to me, and I I, I I think I was so so flustered at the time. I said, uh, "Good good morning, Mr. Clough. No, lovely to to see you." And it was actually a, we'd got into afternoon by then. So he said, "Well, actually, it's afternoon, but it's lovely to see you, even though it's a filthy morning. You know, uh, it's lovely to see your uh, smiling face on a Saturday morning." And um, I could tell from that moment he was in the mood. Yeah. for a good interview yeah. um and uh, you know we talked all about managerial sackings which was one of his favorite topics and um and, and how he was coping in retirement he's you know because he didn't have a match you know to to uh, be in charge of on a saturday what was he doing yeah. you know yeah, exactly. uh, and he said he said oh i, I do enjoy watching the rugby which I, I was surprised about, um, and he says I like going on walks and doing being in the garden and and and, and seeing my grandchildren, which have, you know never really yeah. had a proper chance to to do, and doing ordinary things that everybody else does. Yeah. And uh, he was he was really relaxed, and um, I remember at the end of the interview, um, I said Thank, you know thanks for your time, Mister Clough, and he said don't forget, son, buy a book. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you got the plug-in for the book again at the, at the end, um, but that that was that was a wonderful experience. And then uh, I I interviewed him again, so, or fast forward, I don't know, ten years or so, and um, uh, again it was at, uh, I think it was W. H. Smith in Nottingham, and yep. uh, again I was taken back in, into a, into a back room, and um, we we had a sort of a prelim chat and uh, he knew it was recorded this time and i was asking him it was after his uh, liver transplant right. and um i was asking him how uh how things had gone in hospital and i, I knew that it would it would be a, a potentially funny answer if i asked him what his first request had been for something to eat mm. after after the op because i knew it was an apple sandwich so um I sort of led into this question, hoping that he would then talk about, you know, uh, his love for apple sandwiches. And um, anyway, he said, well, yes, I did want an apple sandwich, but I realised that they don't have apples in hospitals. And I thought to myself, where is this answer going? And uh, he said, I asked the nurse and uh, and then um, I was worried about what she was going to do. And then, you know, um, as this is a family podcast, um, he referred to a part of his anatomy. Right. And um, and and at which point he said, this isn't live, is it? And I <laughs> said, no, thankfully not, Mr. Clough. <laughs> and he said, well, that's good. Uh, you won't last another five minutes if you follow me around. And... Um, <laughs> So I, he knew it was he knew it was recorded. But um, yeah, we had some fun in that interview, I have to say. Um, I think one of the lines was, uh, and, and uh, you definitely make me better looking. And it's obvious, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I thought, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, but yeah, he was on great form, um, came out with lots of great quotes. And um, yeah, another memorable, another memorable interview it Was the last one I did, I think, with him um i'd interviewed him back um oh early 90s again at the the derby playhouse when uh, he did a personal appearance there and it was hosted by kevin lloyd yeah the the, the actor yeah the actor who played tosh lines that that was a great night as well Mm. um so i mean that's
0: a great thing because it's the old cliche of never meet your heroes but from your experience
1: he didn't let you down once did he? he um he he didn't no um that that you're quite right really because it could go the other way couldn't it yeah, and it could be, and yeah. then and then you'd be really disappointed and disheartened and it, it's funny because i um when when he when he did have the operation um the liver transplant i uh, got a lot of emails to the website of of get well messages yeah and I, I printed them all out and I took them to his house because I knew where he lived. I went mm. unannounced, unannounced, not really knowing what to expect. And uh, Mrs. Clough answered the door, and I said, "You know, these are these are from the tribute website. Uh, just get well messages for Mr. Clough." And um, she, uh, obviously, she said, "Thanks very much. I'll I'll I'll, gi- I'll give them to him." And that that was it. You know, and I thought I wouldn't hear any more about it. Um, and then it was at W. H. Smith while he was signing books, and I was taking some photos for the uh, for the tribute website. He looked up and saw me, and uh, I said. And he point, pointed at me and he said, "Are you working?" And um, I said, "Yes, yeah." Um, he said, "Are you the young man that brought all those messages to my house?" And he'd obviously done his homework. Yeah, and recognised me, and I thought. Oh, dear, am I in trouble here, you know, <laughs> for, for, for going to his house unannounced? And, oh, dear. Um, anyway, honesty was the best policy, I thought. Yes, yes, it was me, Mr Clough. Um, yeah, we just wanted to, you know, wish you all the best. Well, uh, it was very much appreciated, young man. And um, le- he said, let's have a chat. And anyway, we organised for the chat to happen after we'd done this, uh, this signing session. And, um, yeah, that... It, it was I, I was very fortunate really that yep. um that i was on his good side and um yeah we had some good times
0: now it's important for you to tell everybody about the books you've written i think because as you said there are five five books that you've worked on covering brian clough so we've got the lost tapes which is the new one tell us about the other fours quickly just give everybody that oh. you've written it,
1: yeah, just very quickly. First one was "Young Man, You've Made My Day," which uh, I I wrote um, all about how my love of Cloughy came about. Really, a lot of what we've been discussing, and, and a lot more about the you know the website and uh, the knighthood campaign, and then the statue. Um, then there was the day I met Brian Clough, um, which sort of developed from the first one of people's memories of meeting him and mm-hmm. the unu- unusual circumstances and the funny things that he said at the time and it's you know it's fans former players journalists and even his family members of his family gave their me- memories as well um which was absolutely lovely for them um lovely for me to get so I was really appreciative of that um Oh, and for the first one, I think uh, Mrs Clough actually wrote the foreword uh, of uh, of that one. Uh, Then another one was um, uh, Champagne Memories, which I wrote with one of his friends, Colin Shields, who was one of the few people besides the players who was allowed on the team coach. Mm -hmm. So he he had some great memories. Um, And then I was asked to write a book... um, as part of a series that a certain publisher was doing called 50 defining fixtures and they'd done books about arson Wenger and alex ferguson and, and such like and they wanted someone to do brian clough Yeah. so uncovering uh, his playing career as well as the, the managerial years um so i was commissioned to do that um, and that was the fourth book and now this one is the fifth
0: and where can people find
1: your books um as i say all good bookshops and even the bad ones mm. um as they say and but if you'd like a signed copy the best place to get one is on the brianclough.com website and i will yep. try and sign it personally to you and uh part of the proceeds are going to the nspcc and nottinghamshire hospice
0: excellent that's that's a really good point i wanted you to get that bit in as well i was going to ask yes. you about that so people realize as well mm. that you are doing this for a good cause another thing as well you need to mention as well for people who need some more fluffy fix mm. there is a podcast of your own to push which is where i first actually discovered your work was through the podcast
1: ah yes um that's right i i started it uh, a couple of years ago now uh the green jumper uh of course after his his famous green sweater and um with a radio background that i've i've got i still sort of wanted to keep my hand in um when i left uh the, the full time job and uh i thought podcasting would be a good idea um one of the bosses at the at the bbc had, had planted the seed in my mind um because i you know I love sort of interviewing people and and obviously fluffy is my favorite subject yeah. so um I set about putting that together, and I took took advice from a couple of friends who'd got podcasting experience, and managed to, over the last couple of years or so, interview former players, um, uh, you know, uh, both Forest and Derby um, players, uh, even uh, even hooked up with Alan Hinton, who now lives in Seattle, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he was. Uh, uh, a great, you know, a great guest talking about the Derby years. Uh, Paul Hart, Viv Anderson, Martin O'Neill, John Robertson. I, I went to see John Robertson at a restaurant in Nottingham for, for that podcast. Um, so uh, that that was a great experience. A, a hero of mine. Um, I w- I once stood outside the Forest ground I was only young, and I saw him and asked for his autograph. And I was a bit shy. And it wasn't until he was walking away that I shouted after him you're my favorite player and oh. he, he turned around and, and smiled and uh, it was it was wonderful to to interview him again you know uh, in, interview him more these years later so yes I've even interviewed the priest who uh, conducted the memorial service at Pride Park and what a night that was um so yeah, full range of um interviewees and just going back to, to how he wanted his players to respect referees, one of them is Keith Hackett, a yes. FIFA former FIFA referee, who yes. said that you know it was always an absolute joy to referee Brian Clough's sides. Yes. Um that they never gave you any any problems, and um and I, I think you know the hopefully Forrest benefited from that in the long run.
0: Now we talked about quotes earlier. Um, do you have a favourite Brian Clough quote?
1: Favourite one? I think, although you know, uh, the top one is probably the most popular. I think um, when he was asked, um, "How does he deal with a player who disagrees with him?" Mm. I think that I think that that's got to be a classic. Um, you know, we sit down, we talk about it for twenty minutes, and then decide I was right. Uh, and I think that's. That sums him up beautifully. But there is another quote in the book um, about uh, perfection. I won't go into it now because it'll spoil it for the um, yeah. for, for people who get the book. But there's a there's a quote along similar lines in there, which I really like as well. Excellent. Finally,
0: then just one last question: What do
1: you think Brian Clough's legacy is, Marcus, today? Oh, what a question! Um, a good question. I think um, you look at what he achieved and, you know, it, it wasn't all about money. Um, he, he could mould a team um, he, he, from very little, really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he could make, you know, average players great and great players world beaters. Um, uh, one of the quotes is, you know, what's the point in having a diamond 40 feet underground? You need to get it out, polish it, um, see it shimmer in the light. And he was talking about his, you know, some of his players and um, John Robertson, for example, in the reserves when he went to Forest and, and became one of Europe's top footballers. And, and the way he was able to get the best out of players. Um, he was able to wheel and deal as well in those days. Um, you know, he stopped the night at Archie Gemmell's house in order to persuade him to, to sign for him. Uh, he, he bought fish and chips for the parents of players that he wanted to sign. Um, you know, there, there were no big checkbooks uh, mm. initially. And when he did spend big money, it was money that he'd earned through yes. the success yeah. um, and, and so you know respect for authority um, he did a lot of things behind the scenes for people that didn't get the headlines um, raising money uh, there's a story in the book about him visit, visiting a, a dying man in hospital you know and, ha- and how that met, meant so much to, to that man and his family um, and you know let's remember Cluffy for, for the good things he did yeah. Uh, and, and you know, that that sense of enjoyment of football, you know, uh, pure enjoyment and excitement, uh, passing it on the floor. None of this, you know, long ball uh, mm-hmm. every, every two minutes. Um, it was, you know, golden, the golden days, you, you could say. Um, he didn't like the idea of VAR. Again, another thing in the book, you know, um, he said, he didn't want that to take away from what we like about football—the excitement, the spontaneity of it—and um, you have to say he did have a point.
0: One hundred percent right. Yeah. the The biggest thing with that is the loss of that emotion, as you mm. said, spontaneity and celebrating a the goal. Then five minutes later, it's it's been disallowed. So yeah. Yeah. And watching watching some of his old interviews, as I've done. Whether it's just been on YouTube, old episodes of St. Greavesy, which he appeared a lot on, because you could see he was friendly with Jimmy Greaves, especially. Mm. Uh, very forward thinking as well. He knew a, he knew where football was going. He knew exactly where football was going to was going to end up. He knew.
1: He could see it. He got the foresight, and there's no doubt about that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I, although he did say that he he thought TV might kill the attendances and he did admit in in later years that maybe he got that one wrong yeah, uh, yeah Brian Clough wrong <laughs> you know, heaven forbid but yeah he did admit it uh, he thought that attendances might go down um but yes he, he um you know a lot of the things that uh he said at the time um and, and the way you know he did certain things are still relevant now
0: yeah, I'm going to defend him on that, actually, because when, when football first started being televised in the mm. 80s, there was a big drop in attendances. You'd see a game on a Friday night yeah. and there were maybe a drop of mm. 1,000 people. So at first, it definitely had that case. And it's not really, I suppose, until after Italian 90 and the Premier League that those attendances probably did. So at that point when he probably said it, he was probably right. But yeah, in the end, it's, it has come round yes. the other yes. way.
1: He was always concerned. I think he said that there would be too much, you know, um, football on on television and we'd all get fed up with it. You know, I think his quote was, you know, you don't you don't want um, uh, roast beef every day of the week and twice on Sundays. You know, it was. um, um, But, um, you know, having said that, um, you know, football has adapted and, um, you know, the crowds are still flocking and um you know it it it, it would be fascinating to, to know what he made of the of the game these days
0: yeah i was thinking that I, when um when mm. i was preparing for this podcast with you i thought mm. i wonder what he'd be thinking right now especially with all as we record this all the the noise about mm. they are, we're recording this we've just had the game between tottenham and chelsea which was just ridiculous i, I just can't imagine and also as well the reaction of managers to the officials as well which as you said was not in his nature to be like that so
1: that that's exactly right um you know he he used to say that that you know the managers should be responsible for the actions of the players on the pitch and if they were if the players were out of order then the managers should get fined it, you know it was it was on their shoulders as it were i mean i saw a clip on social media just before we came to to do this interview and um I think it was um, 2000, uh, and a penalty had been given against Manchester United at Old Trafford, and it was Middlesbrough. Yeah, it was Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough, and, Middlesbrough game, yeah. And 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 the, and the the Man U players just crowding round the the referee, yeah, Andy um, Right, that's it, that's it, Andy Derozo, right in his face, and um, you know, Cluffy would 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 have hated to see his his players his players do that, yeah. um, but. Um, yeah, he said, you know, a lot of it came down to the managers. And if the managers didn't do anything, then the chairman and the owners would, yeah. uh, would have to do something.
0: Yeah. Marcus, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you and um, hearing all about Brian Clough. And I hope that the people listening have learned some more about him as well. But I also hope they will check out your books where they can learn even more and your website and your podcast as well. Good luck with the book. And thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thanks, Gary. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been, I, I've really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, me too. OK, thanks. Take care. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. I absolutely love that. Big thank you to Marcus Alton for joining me today with some new Brian Clough stories. We can never get enough Brian Clough stories. So a huge thanks to Marcus for giving up his time and sharing those with us. Don't forget to check out his books as well. He's got five out there. And as he said, you can find them in all good bookstores and also online. Thank you very much. That's all for today. I'll see you next time and um, have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye.